What up, guys? All right, here on this podcast, Women of Impact, every guest I bring on, every story that they share, and every tip, trick, or lesson that is revealed for women like you who need a no BS approach to actually changing their lives. Well, today's guest is no exception. She's a fiery, incredibly amazing psychologist who is here to break down exactly what you need to do to end the gaslighting cycles. Ladies, you gotta listen up to today's episode with my girl, Dr. Marielle Bouquet. In this first part of this double episode, my girl is laying out everything you actually need to know to never be manipulated ever again without having a way out. So grab your pen and your paper because she's breaking down love bombing at so many freaking levels. And you may actually realize that your man is not the only person who has been love bombing you. She also exposes the toxic jujitsu moves some people use to gaslight partners into faux relationships and situationships that no one would have ever seen the signs coming. And so in this two-part episode, guys, we're going to cover the seven stages of cycles that are used to manipulate you when you don't realize it. And before we dive in, guys, if you actually want to elevate your listening experience, you can go over to Women of Impact subscription service so that you'll never miss an episode. You can get it with absolute zero ads and you get exclusive bonus content. So go over to Apple Podcasts right now and subscribe for your first week absolutely free. Now, let's dive in with my girl, Dr. Marielle Bouquet. When we are truly dealing with a manipulation strategy is that we tend to get gaslit into believing that what we're saying happened didn't happen. And all of a sudden, you go from being on cloud nine in euphoria to almost being insignificant to this person. There are seven stages that someone can use in a relationship to be manipulative and keep you in that toxic cycle. Mm -hmm. So today I want to go through all seven, break them down on why they do it and then how we can actually protect ourselves from that behavior. Yes. All right. So let's start. So talk to me about the love bombing stage. Well, love bombing is whenever we are being fed with a lot of love gestures and a lot of ways in which we tend to like to be loved and and that's happening to the umpteenth degree. So we get hooked to the person, right? Like we we feel this euphoria. We feel like, oh, this is the deepest connection I've ever had. This is this is it. This feels great. And so whenever that happens, the connection is crystallized and it makes it so that we're hooked to a person that could potentially, you know, be pretty damaging to our lives. I love the breakdown, mm-hmm. but let's go a little deeper yeah. because as you were explaining, I was thinking, but what if someone's really just excited? Mm-hmm. Like, what if you go on that first date and the guy is really interested in you and so he wants to text you? How do you know <laughs> when it's like the manipulation tactic or it's just the, the beautiful chemistry between two people? Well, you know... Time will tell whether or not the manipulative tactic to get you hooked into a cycle or if they're actually really interested in you and wanting to get to know you and invested in what you actually like and invested in loving you in the ways that you desire or the ways that work well for you. So, you know, it's sometimes when we offer ourselves a little bit of time to also just get to know a person and, and allow them to, to go through the ups and downs with us, we, we get to see whether or not they're leading in the direction of a toxic cycle or they're simply studying us for the sake of being a good partner to us or being a good friend to us or being a good family member, right? Like all the things, relationships are, you know, variable. And we can, we can even see a lot of these manipulation strategies in all kinds of relationships, even business relationships. So it's really important for us to, to give space to time and the most important, 
to know the signs, mm. right? So when we know the signs, we can actually see them coming. And so we can see that the love bombing stage is truly a love bombing stage and not a I'm getting to know you and I feel deeply connected to you stage. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. So um, you mentioned a couple of the signs. So what do you do if you start to see them? Because here's the thing, right? Cloud nine, it feels good. It does. Who wants to be on cloud nine? I know. (laughs) So when you're on cloud nine, it's very hard to kind of pass this apart of like, what is the genuine thing, right? And really embracing and enjoying that cloud nine feeling instead of being so... Um, skeptical, because I would think I'd be, I would be skeptical if I've already been love bomb in the past. Let's say I've come from a toxic relationship, and now I'm in this new one. Do you advise um, to then just play it out and see how it goes? Like, how do you make sure that maybe you don't invest immediately into them? Because I think sometimes that may also be the person's response Mm -hmm. when it's like oh this feels so good so this is going to be the person that I marry Mm -hmm. well you know what people that tend to be or or have toxic traits tend to be fairly predictable so yes so (laughs) so you're going to see the signs show up eventually and the, the interesting thing about manipulation strategies is that they follow a path so if you know what to look out for, you're not going to have to be a skeptic, right? You can enjoy the moment. And just in the back of your mind, just understand that if you see a bit of a sign of the next stage, then the skepticism will be healthy skepticism. And what you believe could happen can be corroborated. And it might not be, right? Like, but it's important to, to have some level of skepticism with every situation that we encounter, right? And every person that we encounter for us to, to understand, well, this person, like as human as they are, they can, they can hurt me or they can be, you know, a good person to me. And so that is, you know, where healthy skepticism lies. It's like right there in that space where there's always a chance and a possibility. And if we can hold that possibility while not drowning in it, just simply allowing ourselves to understand that it it's something that can happen, um, but we can still enjoy the moment and enjoy the person in front of us. And we can really just, you know, focus and be mindfully present with that person. But the second stage, or at least it's more of the third stage, because the second stage is really when you, in essence, get hooked. But the third stage of any manipulation strategy is when a person starts to feel some sense of feeling devalued by the individual. And I think, it, you know, this helps to, to illustrate with an example. Like, for example, if somebody is, you know, just in that dating stage and they're, they're feeling like everything is going according to plan and they feel like there is a, some sort of connection that feels like it's predictable. Like, I know that I'm going to get that good morning, beautiful text, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's going to happen. But then all of a sudden, the person isn't present and isn't texting back for three days, right? And so all of a sudden there's there's a gap in communication, it's abrupt. And when you connect with them, they're, they're almost kind of saying like, I, I really didn't have time for you today. And I didn't have time for you in these last few days. And all of a sudden you go from being on cloud nine in euphoria to almost being insignificant to this person. And there is an element of devaluing your worth in their life in a very abrupt way. And so you start to question, you wonder, like, well, what happened? Like, well, you know, what did I do? Right. So there's a lot of like that confusion that starts to surface. And that's when we start to see that there is an element of a pattern that's Mm -hmm. happening. And so that healthy skepticism now turns into a corroboration of what you 
thought could have happened, right? But I think that when it comes to, you know, us not drowning ourselves in in the possibilities of like something negative, like we can always just stay stay present and mindful, but also, you know, look out for the possibilities of those signs coming up. And when they do come up, name them. Because when they come up, what what tends to happen to us is that we typically say, well, what happened? What what could I do different? You know, how how can we like, you know, connect better? Let me set this boundary. And so, you know, let this person know that communication needs to look this way to me instead of, you know, taking it as a data point instead of like almost kind of, you know, treating it as perhaps like a, a bit of a. a a research process where you're collecting information and collecting the different ways in which this person shows up in your life and identifying what, you know, what the different ways are that this person is showing up and whether or not it fits into these stages of manipulation. Oh, girl, there's so much there that we've got to go down. Okay, so, (laughs) okay, so they do the love bombing, they get you hooked. Um, That's the second stage. And then the third stage is devaluation. But what's the, the hooking look like? It's a lot of what tends to look like us feeling like really deeply connected with someone in in a way where we feel um, in essence like very happy and euphoric and and like this person can do no wrong. It's a, it's really a lot of those like joyous feelings that we tend to feel whenever we feel truly connected to someone. But the thing about the hooking is that it doesn't allow us to see a lot of what's to come. So it's, it's important for us, to, as I mentioned, with the healthy skepticism, to just keep an eye out and just be mindful. Because remember, healthy skepticism is also, it's, it's in essence like just us protecting ourselves from all the possibilities. Um, the hooking just looks like a, a lot of deep connection with a person, even when, and especially so, when there isn't a lot of depth in the relationship just yet. Mm-hmm. And when we're hooked, is it then, because then the third stage, like you said, is devaluation. Because mm-hmm. we're hooked, when we devalued, we don't necessarily then immediately leave. But if we were devalued as the first manipulation tactic, we're like, mm-hmm. well, you haven't actually, I'm not hooked yet, so peace out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so once you get to the devaluation then, and you have somebody, like you said, texting you in the morning and then disappearing for three days. Again, I'm always trying to pl- play like devil's advocate or mm-hmm. like the middle person. It's like, what if the person's busy? Mm-hmm. What if they've just like, they've got a really demanding job and they want to let you know in the morning, I just wanted to say I love you, but I'm freaking busy. So I don't have time to necessarily get into a big, long discussion. How do you start to pass through the difference between the two where it's like, no, this is actually just somebody who has a lot going on in their life. They still very much care about you. Mm-hmm. And it's not a manipulation tactic versus no, they know exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They know that they've got you hooked. They know to keep you there is to send you these texts in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, well, now I don't have them hooked. I don't have to think about them for three days. Yeah. Mm. Wow. The way you framed that was <laughs> <it's> so perfect. <laughs> you know, we have to also like consider, well, what's coming next? This is why it's so helpful to understand the stages and to just hold them, commit them to mind. Because usually what tends to happen next when we are truly dealing with a manipulation strategy is that we tend to get gaslit into believing that what we're saying happened didn't happen. Right. Traditionally, what tends to happen is that a person that the person that didn't call will deny that they didn't call or say like, what? What do you mean? Like, I, you know, I texted you back. And, and so that. That makes, you know, the person that's questioning, like, think like, well, let me look back at my phone. Like, did they text me? 
And so now you're questioning your own rendition of how things played out and your mm -hmm. own version of reality. So if the devaluing is then transitioning into something that feels like gaslighting or something that feels like it's discounting how you experience the, the situation, then we're really leading down the path of manipulation versus this person was just busy. And it usually you can find it in the words that a person is saying. So if a person's saying, you know what, um, I truly was busy, but communicating with you does matter to me. That's a very different way of approaching that situation than saying like, but I did text you. What are you talking about? Right. And so that sends a person down a spiral versus helping a person feel connected and safe in the relationship, which is what the former you know, statement would do. Ah, oh, God, I love how you broke that down because now really understanding it, and you said this multiple times already, but like it's the stages, right? So when you have this, if it's then followed by the next stage, it becomes more and more of a manipulation tactic. Is that what I'm understanding? Exactly, exactly. Typically when a person tends to engage in these manipulative strategies, they tend to cycle either slowly or they rapid cycle through them. Ooh. So it, it's important for us to just very patiently collect data because we may have someone who's a slow cycler and someone who just takes their time really massaging the love bombing stage and really getting you into that hook for an extended period of time and then they drop off communication, right? Then you have some people that within a week's time, they'll show you all seven stages of the cycle and you can get an understanding of, okay, this is what I'm working with and then you can make a determination that's a little bit prompter and quicker than what somebody who's like six months down the line and still in that love bombing stage might be experiencing. And is it typically depending on the person then themselves of how they uh, show up and they're going to work through the manipulation tactics or is it they recognize that I'm the easy target and so they can run through it much quicker? I hate to say it but they they do have a radar, right? Like some people just understand that there are people who are softies, are empaths, are kind-hearted, and maybe easier to, you know, get into their lives and really cement themselves into their lives through the love bombing stage. So there are ways in which some people, you know, just gravitate towards people that may be targets for the manipulation strategies. But what I do want to say and emphasize is that any of us can actually fall prey to this. Like it can be anyone. Uh, so it's important to understand, you know, what we're getting into with anyone and, and how all of this plays out because we can be like somebody who's very guarded and boundaried and, you know, is a high skeptic and like all the things, right? And we can still become very involved in a cycle like this. And this is especially so if what we saw growing up is a, a set of cycles that looked a lot like these manipulative uh, strategies and cycles. So if we saw something like this growing up and it's been normalized for us because we're like, well, that's what a relationship looks like, then that's what we're gonna actually see as a normal type of relationship in our day-to-day -day lives. And so we're gonna gravitate towards what feels familiar. Mm. So in that situation, if you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, 
it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Would it be, for instance, if a parent, like, can a parent love bomb a child then? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Parents engage in these strategies all the time. Mm. They, you know, they may yell at a child aggressively, right? Or berate their child um, and then go back into love bombing and mm. say, but I love you or I do it because I love you, you know? And so there's a, or, or like give them like a bunch of candy so that they can feel better. And like, you know, it, and sometimes it's it's the parent's desire to also want to get back in their child's good graces. But what tends to happen is that then the child is rehooked, right? And it's a very, it's, it, it's, it's a very complicated process for a child because the child is so dependent on the adult. Mm-hmm. And so they, they, their survival depends on being hooked to an adult, right? And so it's, a, it's an easier process for them to then be hooked to this adult who then starts devaluing them again and then starts gaslighting them and then so forth and so on. Yeah, well, and so do you suggest as we go through these, people start to identify if someone's like, if people are listening right now and they're like, oh my God, that's me. Yes, that's how I feel. Is it wise to then go back into your childhood and look at where it may stem from? Because if you're the type of person that may 
find yourselves always getting love bombed, right? That that's where you know you get tripped up. It's like, oh my God, I go on these dates and I really do fall for the person, but it always feels genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, to get out of that cycle, is it wise then to go back and see who that person is representative in your childhood? Mm. It's essential. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to go back into the places where the wounds originated in order to get a better understanding of them. Because we are, in essence, especially when we're kids, when we're when we're children, we're so malleable. Like our brains are like, in essence, like mimicking everything that's around us. And when we have adults in our lives that are in these cycles, we're replicating that in our child lives and when we get into adolescence, when when we have like relationships in adolescence and then into our adult lives. So we have to understand, well, where did these wounds actually originate? How did they manifest in my life? What did I see growing up? What were the feelings that I experienced whenever I was witnessing my parents in their, you know, manipulative stages? And, you know, in which ways did those become implanted in me? Also, it helps with people with with not assuming shame around the fact that they've been in these cycles. So when they can see like this came from a source um, that was there from the moment that you were born, right? They can they can actually like extract the shame and then just start doing the work to then disrupt the cycles and break out of them. And when you say shame, it's because people so much so many people carry the shame with them that they've been trapped or. Um caught in these types of relationships? Yeah, a a lot of survivors of these types of relationships tend to ask the question, how did I even get into this? How did this happen to me? Especially like, you know, as a woman, like being a strong woman, like someone who, you know, just considers herself to be, you know, very like attuned and socially attuned and intelligent. Like for me, I think it would be really hard to be entrapped in in a relationship like that, right? Mm -hmm. And that goes for a lot of other women too. A lot of women think like, oh, I, I got this, like, you know, this it, it won't happen to me. And the thing is that some people are very, very strategic about how they get into your life and how they enact that love bombing in order to get you hooked. So it can really happen to anyone, like I said before. Um, but if you have some sort of normalization around these manipulative strategies, you can become more susceptible to being in relationships that also carry these kinds of cycles. Mm-hmm. So I've got a question for you then. Being a psychologist, you know Mm -hmm. all of this. You can really articulate it. So number four, gaslighting. Have you been gaslit before? Oh, yes, I have. Okay. Actually, I have. I think I have, may have a record on being gaslit. Oh, shit. Because, you got a record. Yeah, All right. Let's go, homie. I do. I do. I the reason, I thank you so much for sharing this. And I'd yeah. love for you, if you don't mind, sharing some examples. Because to yeah. your point, no matter how much you know, mm-hmm. even though you know, it's still possible that you can get trapped. And if we shame ourselves over getting trapped, right? Like, oh, my God, here I am again. Or mm-hmm. you're like, I'm a psychologist and I still get trapped. Like, th- then we can't progress. We can't improve. We can't make the adjustments because we're so much in our head about beating ourselves up over what just happened. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for sharing that. And I'd actually absolutely. love to hear some stories. If yeah, you don't mind. absolutely. So what I mean by record is that, you know, I was actually in conversation with someone that I was dating and for about an hour and a half, I was being gaslit. But the reason why it lasted an hour and a half in part was because I was trying to give this person an opportunity to not gaslight and almost kind of (laughs) going back into the conversation, offering them more and more opportunities to backtrack and not actually say what they were saying simply because I was like, no, this can't be so. And that happens to a lot of us. We, you know, we become so connected to someone through the other, you know, stages that we're like, um, it's almost like we experience a disillusionment 
whenever we see that, oh no, this person actually is someone that can gaslight me and can engage in toxic manipulation and isn't the person that I believe them to be. And so, you know, I, there have been moments when I have, have actually like experienced it, you know, just perhaps for like two or three minutes. And then that tends to be like my record-breaking hour and a half um, of, of being gaslit. But it can, you know, it can come up in many ways. Like um, sometimes, you know, people gaslight you um, into believing that, you know, you you were in a in, in an actual relationship with them and they, they might say like, um, no, we actually weren't in a relationship. Like, I don't really know where you thought we had an actual label. And so like that can spend, a lot of women come to me with like those kinds of dilemmas where they feel like, they're in these situationships and, you know, they thought that they were in an actual proper relationship with someone. And, and it turns out that, you know, they they went into this gaslighting kind of like scenario where they now found out, no, really, what you thought was the reality of your relationship is not. And so that tends to happen, which is very disorienting and very scarring for a lot of people. Um, Take me through that. That's so freaking powerful. Yeah. So like, so you're saying you think you're in a relationship in the sense of all the signs, everything you've been talking about. Maybe you say I love you or maybe you talk about your future. So mm -hmm. to you, it's very obvious you're in a relationship. Maybe you talk about kids, yeah. whatever. And then it comes up and the other person's like, we're not in a relationship. It's a situationship. Like, mm -hmm. I never said that. Yeah. How do you work through that? And what are the right tools that you can do in that moment to maybe clear the air before mm -hmm. you think that you're in a relationship? Like, What's the best tactic so that you don't get burnt again? Well, the, the first thing to do, which, of course, most people are still like probably in that conversation. And it's important for them to set the standard of what they believe the, the actual relationship to be. Right. And so like if, you know, you're in the conversation and you're telling the person, well, you know, I believe that we were we already had a label that, you know, we were girlfriend and girlfriend, boyfriend and boyfriend, boyfriend and girlfriend, whatever. Right. And so if, if that is something that you're hoping that we could continue being because that is the perception that I had, then let's continue there. But let's collectively decide that that's the label that we're, we're subscribing mm. to. Right. And so there needs to be like a very concrete conversation so as to not create more confusion or more space for there to be any kind of gaslighting, right? I also believe in calling things out and allowing a person to understand the impact that they're causing. So if a person feels inclined to say, you know what, that feels like gaslighting to me, and I'll tell you what gaslighting is in case you don't know what it is, because education is important. Some people really don't know that they're gaslighting. And my rendition of, of what this relationship is, is that we were boyfriend and girlfriend. Your rendition is that we were not in some sort of a relationship. It's not matching and it's, you know, it's making me feel like a bit confused or it's making me feel like uh, our realities aren't matching. But I know what I have subscribed to, and it is this, right? I think that clarity can be very helpful, but also labeling and allowing everybody to be on the same page about what's happening. Whenever anybody is stating that gaslighting is happening, what I tend to hear from folks is that they feel very empowered because they have language to, to actually label their experience versus just being in this ball of confusion, which tends to happen to people all the time. They're like, what's happening? Is that really what happened? Let me just go back. You know, am like, I going crazy? Am I going crazy? Let me think about every little word that was said here because I need to now go back into the previous conversation and see if, am I right? 
are they right? You know, and so like there's there's this like wordplay and this word jujitsu that people start to get into and it, it's usually unproductive. So what's most helpful is for everything to be called out for what it is and for there to be a roadmap as to how you're going to continue in that relationship with the explicit labels so as to not cause any further confusion or opportunity for more gaslighting. Oh, I freaking love this so much. Um, I Knowing myself now, I think I would be like, okay, let's write this down. I want you to initiate. Contract. Yeah, like almost just <laughs> yes. like binary. Right. Binary, right, you right. said this. Um, but as you were talking, I was like, okay, it's so genius. Why don't people do it more often? Like, why don't people just go, hey, let's just talk. Okay, well, how do you see this relationship? And I, I think it may stem, stem from confidence maybe, but then also it, do you think it's potentially rejection where people are worried about getting rejected or worried about putting too much pressure on the other partner to try to get clarification? Like what is it that's stopping people from just communicating up front like you just broke down? It's vulnerability. People have to be really vulnerable to be able to say, this is what I desire in this relationship. This is what my need is. And I, I'm hoping that this relationship can supplement that need. And I'm hoping that I can supplement your needs in a way that's healthy and interdependent. And can we proceed in this way? We're not socialized to have those conversations in that way. And so what happens is that when we want to have them, we get into our emotions. We start experiencing everything that feels entirely too vulnerable, whether it's guilt or shame or anxiety or like all of our primal emotions start coming up. And so I think it's a very emotional process and one that we're not trained how to navigate. And so unfortunately, it leads us in the, into these spaces where there's a lot of confusion, where there's, you know, situationships that are built. And, and there's also, you know, thereafter, there can be a lot of tumultuous or, or chaotic kind of interactions to try and figure things out. And it, sometimes it, it, it lands people in a place where they just can't be together, which is really unfortunate because truly what what needed to happen was just a, a very straightforward conversation. Yeah, so that you're not spending the next year or two years thinking or hoping a relationship's going one thing and then mm -hmm. realizing it's not. Because I think that that's partly maybe where a lot of the emotion comes from. It's like, oh my God, if I just spent two years like with this person that I thought was going to be the one and now yeah. they're not. And then you beat yourself up and to your point, you go back and you're like, did they actually tell me that they, mm -hmm. they loved me? Like, I swear they did, you yeah. know, and yeah. the, the cycle continues. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was actually something else that you just said, with it, which is the need, the vulnerability and then saying what you need mm -hmm. it only just dawned on me like us women have basically been trained to never speak up about our needs because we're perceived as being needy mm -hmm. and so I think that our own um, emotions and what we've been taught of like you don't want to be needy you don't want to seem needy mm -hmm. and so that may stop us from even saying a need and I yeah. think of them as very different yeah um, but I think that at least for me I've been taught that they're the kind of one and the same that if I speak a need it means that I'm needy Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's a really tragic socialization for all of us, really, because we're not only taught not to express our need, but we're taught to be self-sacrificial and to service the needs of others, of everyone around us, whether it's our partners, our children, and be nurturing in every role that we play, even if we're businesswomen, like be nurturing in those roles and service the needs of mm -hmm. other people in, in the business world. But then we're all the way down on the priority list. And so we have to literally like surface from all of that socialization, which is incredibly hard, and then actually express to the person that we're most vulnerable with, which is usually someone who we wanna be in partnership with, that we have a need. It's really hard. 
It's a hard thing to ask of anyone, but I think that with a bit of at least a conscious understanding that that's something that we have to get into and having these kinds of conversations about the fact that we need to surface from the need, um, from, from not just having a need, but also expressing the need in a very vulnerable way. I think that can be a step one, you know, in the right direction. I love that. And then if people are listening right now to know that, like, I like to kind of almost weigh options, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, it's you've got the option to speak up to your partner, to say that you have the need. It's totally get, it's going to be uncomfortable. Maybe you feel really, mm-hmm. you know, nervous right now. But then the other option is spending years and years and years wondering. Oh my. And hoping and yeah. waiting. And so what, I like to mm-hmm. kind of be very honest with those types of things because if you then lay those out as like, those are my options, hopefully people go, oh shit, well, I need to say my need. Mm-hmm. You know, in therapy, we have this this concept called um, content versus process. And content is basically what we're saying. But process is everything that's not being said. <laughs> and it's everything that's happening, right? It's almost like, you know, like the elephants in the room. Like, And so whenever we can call out the process and actually say it, it actually diffuses all of those strong emotions that are associated with it. For example, if we can say, you know, it's making me really nervous to have this conversation with you because I have to be incredibly vulnerable right now. That's the process. That's what's happening, but no one's calling it out. No one's saying it. But it actually diffuses the nervousness that the person feels upon expressing that vulnerability. And it actually builds a stronger connection between the two individuals that are having the conversation. Dude, that's so lovely. I love that so much. Um, okay, I want to go back to something that you said earlier that I didn't want to interrupt you, but you said, so you had the call, um, the hour and a half call where you started to spot the gaslighting signs. Mm-hmm. And because you're like, no, not them. You tried to give them reasons. You said you asked them questions mm-hmm. to see if they could come back from it, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. give them an opportunity. What questions were you asking? Well, the, the questions were in reference to to us planning, you know, a travel. Okay. So it was like a first travel and, and I was identifying some of the things that I like whenever I travel, right? And so I had expressed them, but they weren't honored, right? And so like just, you know, things that, that are essential to me, like, you know, some things around timeliness and, you know, things that, that just help me to feel settled whenever I'm traveling with someone. And um, they, you know, they, they kept going back to, I've, I've never heard you say that. I said, but I did say that. So it's, and that is a, a very common experience that people have in that gaslighting transaction where you're saying, no, I did say that, but did I say that? So now you have to like kind of further question whether or not you actually got into those log- logistics. But I knew I got into the logistics that I, I really wanted that person to say, no, I really did hear you say that. Mm. And that we could continue thereafter and that there wouldn't be that experience of gaslighting. So, it, you know, even when it was like something benign, there were already some of the other signs that I started noticing that where I started piecing the, the puzzle together with the gaslighting, some of the devaluing, some of the devaluing came with, um, you know, uh, being told that I, my standards were too high around (laughs) traveling. So the thing about that is that, you know, then I have to wonder like, well, how is this person perceiving me? Like, are my standards too high, you know? And so should I self-suppress and shrink or should I be this person that, that I am that has these standards? And so like all of those things, started to be data. Please take me through that standard thing before we go into the data, because this is fascinating. How did you Mm -hmm. process that of, am I asking too much? Or no, this is absolutely my right to say my need. Well, you know, because I've done a lot of 
self-love work Mm -hmm. and self-reflection. And of course, as a psychologist, how could I not be self-reflective? But uh, I've already taken myself through all of those things, even prior to this interaction. And of course, it helped that I knew the signs, right? But I, I had to take a pause from the conversation, which I always urge people to do, because when you're entangled in that conversation, there's going to be a lot of you going back and forth and almost playing like, you know, a semantics game. Mm-hmm. And you get caught up in that and then you spiral in it. And it can it, it can be, you know, very toxic for the person that's on the receiving end of that gaslighting. So I always, if there is an opportunity, I always instruct anyone who is being captured into that gaslighting cycle to just extract themselves from it, which is what I did. I extracted myself from it. And what I did next was one of the things that I also help people to do, which is I started tuning in with how I was experiencing the moment. And the tuning in is very layered. Like I started thinking, well, what are the thoughts that are going through my mind about how I'm experiencing this person right now? Well, I felt that they they were a little bit more irritable than I, I thought really the the conversation called for that felt a bit more on the aggressive end than I would have hoped, you know, from someone that I'm hoping to connect with in this way. That's something that I couldn't think about while I'm still trying to make sure that they're not gaslighting me, right? Then it's, um, you know, I, I also had to think about, well, how am I feeling? What are my actual feelings? Let me call them out. Let me name them. I was actually really sad because I liked this person and I wanted things to work out in the ways that I had anticipated but they weren't going to if this person really had this intention on gaslighting me. That wasn't something that I was willing to continue in. And so there was sadness, the grief, right? That's an essential part of what we need to go through. Um, And then I also needed to check in with my body. How am I feeling like in my body? I felt like I had some sensations in my chest because I was like really stressed in the moment. And so all of that became a part of how I stepped back and honored myself. How am I really? How am I doing? Forget the transaction that just occurred. Let me go back into myself, check in with myself, and offer myself exactly what I need in this moment. I actually took a walk outside and just explored nature a little bit in my backyard. And I offered myself an opportunity to reground. And that's something that we typically, you know, we just, we're not trained to do these things, to step back, to honor ourselves, to check in and to then ground ourselves after oh. we've been uplifted and uprooted by such a, you know, just an, a negatively stimulating situation like gaslighting. Yeah. And with this, uh, that's so beautiful. I love the stepping back. Everything you just laid out is so powerful. I've never really thought about how to deal with gaslighting in that moment and to come back to yourself. And you said you'd done the work before. Obviously, mm-hmm. someone listening that may not have done that work. Um, how do you look through what are what are my standards mm-hmm. and what are the standards I'm not willing to lower myself to? Um, because we're in those moments where someone's like, you just got high standards. You're just really like high maintenance. Mm-hmm. To your point, a lot of us who haven't done the work are going to squish ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're going to make ourselves smaller yeah. so that we now fit into that mold of that person that maybe we're trying to attract. Yeah. How? Um, mm-hmm. What are the steps for somebody to actually write out those standards so that if they found themselves with someone saying that, they know, oh, go back to my cheat sheet. Do not lower your standards. This is who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be painful, but it's essential for us to go back into the moments when we felt shrunken and small and, and actually reflect on those moments and realize what was happening in those moments. 
and then think about what we're no longer willing to accept in connection to what happened already. So, um, for example, I, I had one client, and I think that this happens, you know, often enough for a lot of folks where um, their partner, whenever they would feel really stressed, and especially at work, would come home with a lot of rage and anger. And so they would yell at anything. Everything would take them off. And so they had this like really short fuse and, and inability to really process the stress and not place it in, in their home and onto their partner. And so my client, who was the partner, would oftentimes feel very shrunken in those moments and very helpless and not able. And, and, and it's really unfortunate because now my client was a target, right? A target of a lot of this aggression and rage. And so, you know, the berating and displacing onto my client was something that she decided she would no longer be tolerating. So that was a, a non-negotiable now that she understood was to be a part of her life moving forward. So in her dating world, now she no longer admitted anyone who would displace any kind of anger or aggression onto her. So that was, you know, just like one variation of it, right? I know that, you know, for me, I, I've had people in my life that have had like different ways in which they've displaced. It's never been to that level, you know, but I think that it, I have had to set my own standards around like whether or not, you know, I've been, able, I, I've, I can love someone with something that feels like a non-negotiable, non-negotiable to me, which I now know is not something that I'm willing to accept. I have my list and the list definitely came from places where I've been wounded, but now that list I carry with me into every kind of dating situation that I have so that I can know, okay, whatever it is that happens here, I understand what my non-negotiables are and everything else, there's space for compromise, for grace, and for compassion. 